0: pause your word counts, and enjoy. Hey everyone, we asked a very special guest here today and she was so kind to jump in on this experiment. Robin, we asked to speak with you because you made an incredible revision turnaround in
1: very little time. Would you be willing to introduce yourself and walk us through it? Sure, sure. I'm Robin Ryle. I have written 2 nonfiction books and the query that we're going to be talking about today is for a young adult novel that I've written that I'm trying to get an agent for.
0: Let's learn a little bit more about you. Where are you located? What do you do for fun, for work, your hobbies, sure. and what
1: inspired this book? Sure. So I'm a college professor. I teach sociology and gender studies at a small college in southern Indiana. It's a liberal arts college. So we have about a thousand students. And obviously I teach about gender. I teach a sociology of sport class. So we spend a lot of time in the classroom talking about gender and sports. I hear a lot of stories from my students, especially my students who are women athletes, about Title IX was passed in the 70s, which encouraged more women to participate in sports, but there's still a lot of inequality. The specific kind of incident that the book starts with, where a girls basketball team are trying to practice on the good court. And the boys have it. That's a story students told me a lot. Even at the college where I teach, sometimes the good basketball court goes to the boys team more than it does to the girls team. So that was the kind of inspiration for this book was hearing the stories about inequality that still exists for girls in sports. And imagining a group of girls who decide to do something about it. And that was the inspiration. So yes, I teach college. When I'm not teaching college, I'm writing, I'm gardening, cooking, I'm a knitter, and just enjoying the small town where I live. It's a Madison, Indiana. It's on the Ohio River, halfway between Louisville and Cincinnati. And it is the largest contiguous national historic district in the United States. So I live in a 140-year-old house. Wow.
0: Yeah. Yeah. How large is this district? Everyone gets 140 year old house. With amazing detail. <laughs>
1: Yeah. So the downtown district is about a mile long and maybe half a mile wide. So the actual town itself is bigger than that. But the historic district, I think it's 153 blocks is in the historic district. And so, yes, most of the houses are early 1800s, mid 1800s. So a lot of federal style houses. Yeah, it's a very cool place.
0: Please tell me you have a secret passageway.
1: (laughs) Please. Absolutely. Please. That's a must. (laughs) I do not. There are houses in town that do have kind of secret spaces because they were part of the Underground Railroad. So people would cross the river here in Madison. So there's a history there. No, I don't have any secret passages. I just have a really creepy basement. So almost all of the downtown houses have very creepy basements. I tell people if there's a tornado and we get a lot of tornadoes here, I'd just probably rather get hit by the tornado than go down in the basement. I try not to think about ghosts and, what is the one movie, uh, The Sixth Sense. I try not to think about that because clearly if your house was built in the 1840s, probably some people died in your house. Yeah, just don't think about that.
0: That is, wow, that does paint a picture. You have this fabulous, if terrifying, house, a really cool (laughs) career, and all of that actually makes sense what you would choose to write about. Wow, okay, so this is rare. We draw our work for panels at random, and I think this is the first and only time Anyone came up twice. Mm. In fact, your query was so different that our agent and residence didn't notice it was the same one as before, which is very impressive. Would you be willing to read version one? Sure. no problem.
1: Dear Miss Agent, I thought you might be interested in my 76,000-word young adult novel, Fair Game, about a girls' basketball team that challenges the boys to a high-stakes game, putting their seasons, their futures, and 3 chairs friendships on the line. Amanda Harkins is fed up. The Madison boys' basketball team has been getting all the attention and money for way too long. The boys barely even won a game last season, while the girls' team almost made it to state. But here she is again, fighting to practice in the good gym with the girls' team, even though they signed up for it and the boys did not. Amanda and her friends, Maud and Dot, decide it's time to take action. Amanda's an inspiring activist, after all, and this is one wrong it's past time to write. They challenge the boys to play a game for the rights to the good gym. With Maud's height, they should be able to win. But Amanda wants to do more than just win. She wants revenge, and she'll go all out to get it. One game, boys against girls, the losers quit the team and give up their whole season. But has Amanda gone too far? By challenging the boys to a forbidden high stakes game, she may have put their season, their futures, and three cherished friendships on the line. Fair Game is a 76,000-word young adult novel about life, fairness, and friendship.
0: Great. And do you remember what everyone said on the
1: panel? So one of the things that the panelists said is that the stakes weren't clear enough. So not just in terms of what happens with the game, but what happens with the friendships and the kind of emotional stakes for the characters. So, you know, there's this generic that their friendships on the line. Well, what does that mean in terms of their friendship? So, I think what I took away was the kind of emotional stakes, like not just the stakes in terms of the structure of the plot, but what's at stake for these characters? I think it was one of the agents said it reminded her of the movie She's the Man. So, that kind of gave me an idea for comp. I was literally thinking about that movie <laughs> just
2: now. <laughs> yes. I sure explained. I was like, why does this remind me of the man? Yes, yeah. I loved that movie, that old school Amanda Bynes. I'm here for yeah. that. It's a
1: yeah, which I had not thought of. I've seen She's the Man, but it didn't occur to me. And then there was repetition there, which I had not noticed. That tagline is repeated twice. A high stakes game, putting their seasons, their futures, and three cherished friendships on the line. I probably wrote the query, like, about halfway through writing the novel, because one of the things one of my writer friends said is, do the query early to give you a sense of what your novel is about. So I wrote the query early and then wrote that tagline. and. I saw someone else's query and I'm like, oh, I should put it at first. The tagline was at the end. And then I saw someone else's and I'm like, oh, I should move it to the beginning. This is what happened. You forgot that it was in two places. You're like, oh, duh. Yeah. So that's what, things happen. They do happen. They do happen. You're so immersed in the details that you lose sight of the kind of big picture that, oh, you've said that twice. Yeah.
0: I think it's really important for writers to remember that, say, for example, I get a query that I otherwise like and then I notice the same exact sentence in two places. I do not care. That is not an automatic (laughs) fail for me. I would highlight and delete and then we have a great query. I think a lot of writers think that if you make one mistake, that's it. You're out. Frankly, agents are reading so fast, they probably won't notice. And if they do notice, they're going for the big picture. They're not going for is everything perfect. Mm -hmm. They're going for do I like the voice? Do I like the concept? Does the author seem cool to work with? So I think that's a great example of how, yes, something like that happened, but that wasn't the agent's focus that was interpreting this for Mm -hmm. you. They were thinking about how do we raise the stakes. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of writers can take something from that because they also do it with their pages. A lot of writers pause so long and do 8 million drafts because they think it has to be perfect by the time it gets to an agent. And I literally just had this conversation today with the writer, and I had to remind him that you're probably going to have to do edits with an agent before you go on submission. If your book does get sold, you're going to have to do edits (laughs) then too. So don't get so bogged down in the editing details. It's okay. Agents, editors, people in publishing are all people. They understand that these little things happen. And honestly, if you get with somebody and they don't really understand that concept, then maybe they're not the agent for you.
1: Yeah. No, I think you're right. I I have to realize this over and over again, but I think there's a perfect version of my novel. And I'm like, no, there's just a version of the novel that's good enough to first get an agent and then the next step, obviously, to get a publisher. And then a lot of writers feel like even then the version that gets published isn't perfect. Yeah. It's hard to let go perfect though. Let's
0: say that you got an agent and you had two different offers from two different editors. Each of those editors would edit it differently. There's not one correct answer Mm -hmm. for how a book is edited. It's which vision works for you? Is that translated from their brain to yours? Sounds like you're very good at receiving people's visions and running with it, Mm -hmm. which we'll get into in a moment. But it's not like there's one correct version. It's which version of this resonates best with you and
1: hopefully with readers.
0: Going back to the idea you mentioned of writing the query first,
1: do you think that served you? I do. I think it was one of the classes that Manuscript Academy did on revising and editing. I can't remember who it was talking about. Keep going back to that core. If your query's good, it should remind you of what that core of the story is. I got that advice. I didn't do it like the first novel I wrote. But since then, it's something that I do. I'm like, okay, if you can't articulate in three paragraphs what the novel is about, then you need to figure that out at some point. So... Yeah, I do think it's helpful. It's also just good because the query feels so hard and then you at least have a draft of it. It's there. Obviously you'll tweak it along the way, but at least it's there.
0: Something I've noticed that I can't quite articulate yet is that if someone gives me a project and I'm editing it with them several times, when I can describe it to myself succinctly is when it's ready. If you can describe your project to yourself succinctly, like in a query and you're halfway through the book, you are so well set up for the second half. You are ready to go. Now, granted, all of the panthers out there are cringing, <laughs> running away at this point. Oh,
2: yeah. At this point, they have paused the podcast and they have walked away from their computers. They have
0: paused. Yeah.
2: All of a sudden, those issues that they have not watched absolutely need to get done. That long thing is <laughs> folded because Jessica is talking absolute nonsense. <laughs> How dare she
0: like, say, we have to write this out and know what's supposed to actually happen. How dare she? <laughs> Not saying you have to, but if you do, you're in a really good place. Yeah, I'm picturing them throwing their phone in the lake. But <laughs> don't throw your phone in a lake. You don't have to do this. But if you do, it's a wonderful way to just know that you have a clear vision for the second half. That would reassure me, but I'm sure some people would think that was too constraining. Yeah. Of course, you have to find what's best for you. But it reminds me of how a book proposal can also be a tool for what you're going to write. It's okay. your path forward. And if you don't need the GPS, Go right ahead, but some of us need to check it every turn.
1: (laughs) Yeah,
2: I need the GPS or at least guideposts. I'm really bad in a car. Don't ask me (laughs) to give you directions anywhere because I will have you going somewhere completely different. But if I know where the McDonald's is, I can tell you head to the McDonald's circle right there. When you get to the stop sign by the Wendy's turn right, I can tell you there. But I have to have at least those guideposts so I know where Mm -hmm. I'm going. Not so much like the finer details.
1: Yeah, makes me feel a little less lost. But I've panned stuff before, too, so I've tried it different ways. I feel a little less anxious when I have a sense of where I'm going to.
0: Yeah. Anxiety is common, among <laughs> readers. So on your list, you've got change the stakes, cut out the repetition, but that's a small thing. What was the one last part
1: of your to-do? So change the stakes, give a better sense of the friendship. I think the effects on their friendship. I think that's what I remember.
0: Okay, so you're going to raise the stakes, elaborate on the friendship, and, of course, cut out the small repetition. So how did you think about going about that? Because people say raise the stakes all the time. (laughs) And you
1: did it. How did you do it? (laughs) Tell the world. The novel was done. I knew what the stakes were. I just wasn't communicating them well in terms of the emotional stakes for the girls themselves. Picking them out, going back and thinking like, okay, what is going on with Amanda? What is going on with Dot? And yeah, teasing that out. One of my friends and beta readers, one of the last drafts, she was like, I think you need to turn the stakes up and turn the stakes up, which is, you know, a hard thing. It's one of the things writers struggle with because it's hard to watch your... Character struggle, but you have to make them struggle. So because she had given that feedback, I think I'd spent some time thinking about what are the stakes for the three girls. So it wasn't that hard to go back and pull those out. The hard part is like saying that very succinctly in three sentences. That was harder than than figuring out what the stakes were.
0: Yeah, definitely. And showing that the stakes are there in a way that is engaging and interesting and we care, but it doesn't necessarily come with a like, don't, don't, don't. (laughs) That's a tough
1: balance. Yes, yes.
0: Did you have to find
2: yourself spending more individual time with the characters themselves in order to try to tease some of that information out? Or was this more of a contemplative thing that you had to assess yourself?
1: I think at the point that I got the critique, I was probably in the middle of an edit. So I was in it. Teasing those out wasn't very hard. I write in Scribner, and so that lets you have all of the research, all these notes. So there's literally like files that are like lists of stakes for the characters. And that friend of mine was like, I think you need more stakes. At that point, I made a list. Like, what are the stakes for each character? And then what can I add? So it was there for me. I just had to go back and, "Okay, what is happening for each of them?
0: Nice. You wouldn't happen to have any tools for writers out there who've heard the same note of your stakes don't seem high enough.
1: That's a hard question. I've taken various classes on novel structure, and one of the things that's been helpful to me is to think about your character's identity and an essence. And so the identity is who they think they are, and the essence is who they really are. And the point of the novel is to watch them go from identity to essence. And stakes should be things that are driving them in that direction. So it shouldn't just be random things happening to them, but it should be things that are pushing them increasingly to make that realization about who they are, which, like all things with writing, sounds so much easier when you say it out loud than it does when you actually do it. But that's one of the things I think about when I'm thinking about how can I raise the stakes for them? How am I pushing them towards situations that will make them see who they are instead of who they think they are. I love that.
0: Was there anything you were unsure about in doing this revision?
1: One of the other things, Fiona Kensal, he looked at the first pages and she's like, your names are too (laughs) old-fashioned. Because there was a Maude and a Bob, and she's like, you're American, go look at the Social Security, you can see what the most popular (laughs) names for that year were. So Maude changed to Maddie. But one of the things that was hard is that part of what's at stake for her is this secret that Dot and Amanda don't know. So I was trying to figure out how much do I give away and how much do I not? Is it okay to just call it a secret? Do I tell what the secret is? So that was hard, figuring out exactly what to reveal and what not to.
0: That makes sense. It's always hard to know how to give enough information that we're invested, but leave something missing so that there's tension.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then with Amanda, this is always the thing in the query. Part of what she's trying to figure out is the difference between justice and revenge, like the difference between just hurting someone versus actually making a social change and making things better. And the hard part about a query is always how much do you tell about that? Do you need the name of the boy? Do you need to know what age their friendship collapsed? Do you need to know if she still likes him? Yeah. Again, like what's enough to make it intelligible, but not so much that it's just overwhelming and makes the query too long
2: especially with how quickly you have to grab an agent's attention before they're off to the next query. So you're juggling that and you're trying to do it in a very quick way so that they
0: don't lose interest in what you have to say. Right. I often tell people that I want to know the genre of the secret, because if it's just And then there's a big secret that's revealed. Okay, is the secret that they're magic? Is the secret that they're going to steal all the candy in the school? Is the secret that they're going to set off a bunch of fireworks? Who knows? So I guess knowing the genre of what kind of secrets will be revealed, to me, builds tension. Because you get just the tiniest bit closer to having a mental image of what it's going to look like. And I think once you have a mental image, it's easier to emotionally connect.
1: Yeah, like literally for the query, what that boiled down to is like, what adjective goes in front of secrets? It's not just a secret, but what kind of secret?
0: I love that. I bet just that one word can make a huge difference for the whole overall effect.
1: Are you ready to read version two? Dear Miss Agent, I thought you might be interested in my 76,000-word young adult contemporary novel Fair Game about a girls' basketball team that challenges the boys to a high-stakes game, putting their seasons, their future, and three cherished friendships on the line. It's a great read for fans of the movie She's the Man and Furia by Yamil Saeed Mendez. Amanda Harkins is fed up. The Madison boys' basketball team has been getting all the attention and money for way too long. The boys barely even won a game last season, while the girls' team almost made it to state. But here she is again, fighting to practice in the good gym with the girls' team, even though they signed up for it and the boys did not. Amanda and her friends, Maddie and Dot, decide it's time to take action. Amanda's an aspiring activist, and this is one wrong it's past time to right. They challenge the boys to play a game for rights to the good gym. But Amanda wants to do more than just win. She wants revenge, and she'll go all out to get it. One game, boys against girls, the losers agree to quit the team and give up their whole season. But has Amanda gone too far? Maddie's got a dangerous secret that Amanda's quest for revenge threatens to reveal. A missed season could cause Dot an athletic scholarship, her only chance to escape her family's troubled past. Amanda thinks it's justice she wants, but is she really trying to get back at the boy who ditched her to become one of the popular kids? The three girls leave it all on the court to settle the question— what does it really take to be equal? Yes! <laughs> Sorry.
2: <laughs> I love that. I love that. The tension was so much higher. Like, it almost played out like a preview for a movie, you know? Oh, that's good. When you cut to, like, the different friends' secrets, all I see is the split <laughs> shots of the different friends mm-hmm. each of them with their own little secret and really putting out there for the world to see and how that's going to affect their friendship.
1: Yeah,
0: definitely good job. I really liked it.
1: Thanks. Thank you.
0: Yeah, I love how you set a lot in motion. And we all know that it's all going to crash at some point and something's going to happen. It's all going to come together and boom. But we don't know exactly how. And I think it's so great that you showed that it's not just about wanting the good gym. It's about equality. It's about revenge. It's about friendship. It's about what is the line that takes it too far. And all of those themes to me make it feel so much Easier to describe in an editorial or acquisitions meeting, easier to care about, and easier to see, okay, this is why this book is different and why it should get a request.
1: Yeah. I also think in the process of saying tease out the emotional stakes for each of the three girls. Now you get a sense that it is about the three girls. And that's one of the things I know people struggle with, like how to convey that this is from multiple points of view. And now you see that without having to say this is from multiple points of view. Like you hopefully aren't surprised when you read the manuscript and find that. Well,
0: and even if they are, I think that's okay. Yeah. I like what Valentina said about this being like a movie trailer. I've been thinking about pitches like movie trailers lately, and I like that. Because if you can give us that vision... You've done well.
1: Yes, especially with words and movie trailers, get out all the images, but yeah, if you've created that sense of the kind of jump cut that you get in a trailer, that's amazing.: Yeah me.
2: <laughs> yes, I, Yes.: Absolutely. If I can see it in a movie trailer, I am here for it. I'm always like, okay, now show me the poster, with the dates of when it's coming out. and <laughs> we're good.: We are 100 percent good.
0: Can you tell us a little bit more about, like how you got each of those portions of this new version?
1: there's the comp stuff I added at the beginning. Obviously, I'd read Furia, and so that was one of the books that I was thinking about as a comp already, and then the suggestion of She's the Man. There was one other change I made in the second paragraph. It says the losers agree to quit the team and give up their whole season, because one of the responses I got is, I think the original said something about the losers have to quit their season. The wording was a little different. It says the losers quit the team and give up their whole season. And people were like, why do they have to quit? And that was just a little wording change that was a little glitch that made people wonder what was happening. But that last paragraph with the stakes for the individual girls. So like I said, I went back to my drafts and I thought about, okay, what are the most important stakes for each of the three girls? There's multiple stakes for all of them. So there are other things that they have to lose, but what's most important? What's the core that's driving them? And so identified that thing. And the hard part, like, boiling it down to a single sentence. So, like, for example, Maddie's got a dangerous secret that Amanda's quest for revenge threatens to reveal. Like, what adjective describes her secret? Is it dangerous? Is it humiliating? What's the nature of the secret? I think the one for Amanda was clearest because Amanda's kind of the main character. And that setup of her relationship to this boy is there from the very beginning. And that was something that pretty quickly when i started writing i realized that what was going on with amanda is that she's still mad at this boy and she's fair and she's conflating that with other things that are going on so that was easy and then a part of the dynamic of the book is that maddie and amanda part of why the season is so important is that they're trying to protect dot who's in a kind of situation where she really needs to get away to college she really needs to get away from the town that they're living in so again like how to capture that in a sentence
0: Can we touch a moment on how you have characters who conflate things? That would have probably been too complicated to put in your query. Is this character thinking this because it's true? Is she thinking this because this is how she has associations with things? Can we talk about that a moment? Because that is something humans do, but that would be a level of nuance that would be so difficult to put in this page versus in your story.
1: Yeah, I think that especially comes across with Amanda with that sentence. She thinks it's just as she wants, but she's really trying to get back at the boy.
0: Yeah, that's such a hard thing to boil down. And I think you did. We get the outline of what happened. But I think it's easy to forget that humans conflate things all the time.
1: <laughs> yeah. i <laughs> kidding. We often think that we're doing things for certain reasons, and that's not really the reason at all. As a sociologist, there's a whole theory that humans are rational. It's called exchange theory, that we're all constantly making these kind of lists of pros and cons and then making our decisions on the basis of that. It's not hard to see that's not really how it goes. We're just not particularly rational creatures. We don't know why we're doing the things that we're doing a lot of the times, which is the amazing thing about writing fiction is like taking characters and trying to figure out the complexity of they don't know why they're doing the things they're doing, but you're supposed to as the author, which is hard, but also, you know, kind of way of controlling a chaotic world, figuring that out for someone. Because when you think about it, like, you, you first write a story, you're telling yourself that story. You're
2: still discovering it. And at the end of it, you're one step closer to understanding what you wrote. And so every time you do an edit, you're learning more and you're editing it, which is just our day-to-day life. It was just hindsight is twenty-twenty. So... If we had that edit function, we would be out here editing constantly. (laughs) Like, nope, that was not the right move. Let's go back to version C because version D is not it. That's
1: very true. In the first draft, you don't know why they're doing the things that they're doing. You figure it out later.
0: I love that. Yeah. But I thought you were going in a different direction, Valentina. I thought you were going to be like, you don't have your query for the second half of your life, so you don't know what your plan is. That is was true. Which is okay.
2: That's true. That's true. I do not have the query for, what is this? I guess this is act two. I don't have a query for act two. I'm not old enough yet to be concerned with act three, but for act two, <laughs> I'm still trying to figure it out. and I'm not too short, sure, but mm-hmm.
0: hopefully it turns out well. This <laughs> act two of Valentina's Amazing Adventures. Yes. So Robin, will you tell us a little bit about what happened when you presented the second version to the panel?
1: Isn't this typical, like, you remember the bad things and you don't remember the good things as much? Hey, that is a cognitive <laughs> bias. It kept us
0: safe for many thousands yes. of years. Yes. We noticed the saber tooth instead of the yummy food over
1: here. Yeah. But yeah. Yes. I had something going on that night, so I didn't get to watch that query panel live. But I, I got up the next morning and I got your email, Jessica, and I was like, oh, because I thought they won't pick it again. So I watched the replay of it. I guess you recognize Jessica. And that you didn't really have much to say about it, which was very nice. And we're impressed with the revisions. I'm trying to remember if there was even like a small thing. I don't remember making any changes after that second panel, but obviously it was really nice to see, oh, I did that, I did that okay. As a writer, sometimes it feels like you don't get as many of those moments as you would like. So to have a moment, yeah, you took that feedback and did well with it It was really nice.
0: You did. And I bet we're going to be able to dig up, like, a lot of people saying lots of nice things that you completely forgot because <laughs> you were focused on the bad stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. but I
2: also think that's yeah. like, when we're growing up and we start school, you always get instant feedback. All through school, you do your homework, you get feedback. You are in a class, you get feedback. You read something out loud, you get feedback. But now it's like after school. You don't get that. You don't have that community. You don't get that instant feedback. And so we're all just hoping and praying that we get good feedback at some point because you're right. We're writing in a vacuum almost. Like we're doing all these things, having no real clue if we're making the strides we think we are until somebody else comes along and gives us a pat on the back and two thumbs up. We're like, oh, okay, thank (laughs) God. I wasn't sure there for a second.
1: Yeah. No, you're right. Writing is very lonely. What's nice about a Manuscript Academy, you can find a community and find some people who are like, yay, you did it. (laughs) Absolutely.
0: You did.
1: You did do it. So Robin, what's next? Since that revision, I did a little tally. I think I've sent out eight new queries and got one request from the full from those. Nice. I have some other projects going on, and I was right in the middle of yet another revision. I haven't been sending it out a lot. I'm going to keep trying. And fingers crossed, total, with all the queries that I've sent out for this one, I've had seven requests for a full, and none of those agents have got really nice, detailed feedback, but none of those agents have made an offer of representation. So yeah, I'm still working at it and still trying. Okay, wait, but
0: it's hardly been any time at all since this (laughs) panel. (laughs) You've got a one in eight request. That's not bad. I bet everyone else still has it in their list to read. Hopefully.
1: It's been, what, a month? I had been querying it before that panel for a while. I've been in the query trenches before for other novels and for my nonfiction book. I feel like I at least have a better idea of what I'm doing. And I will say that that three-day intensive was just amazing. I learned more then about the behind the scenes, how to figure out and how to interpret what all the rejections mean. So, you know, that session you gave, Jessica, was just, I was like, why didn't I know this before? Because I went back and I looked, Thank at, you. I looked at previous projects that I'd sent out and I was like, oh, that was actually close. That rejection that all I could hear was how horrible, was actually encouraging. So yeah, that was really helpful. If you're getting that many requests for fold, then you're doing something right. And especially what you said about sometimes when they're contradicting themselves, it means you're close. So the feedback doesn't always say the same thing. So I'm like, okay, I'll keep trying. Yeah, you have to look for the patterns. I'm glad that was hopeful for you because all
0: of the data I'm getting from speaking with you, seeing how you revise, seeing how you work on things, even the fact that you have a really cool career and you're fun to talk with, all of that seems very hopeful to me. Thank you. So I'm glad the data agrees.
1: <laughs>
0: Thanks. You mentioned another book.
1: My first nonfiction book is called She, He, They, Me, an interactive guide to the gender binary. It's with source books, and the paperback is coming out at the end of June. Yay! Congratulations! Thank you. Thank you. It's a book that's about gender told in the style of a choose-your-own-adventure. So you start out, you're born, and you get to explore all these different ways that gender exists in different societies and explain transgender and non-binary experiences. It was my idea to take the cool stuff we learn in a sociology of gender class and get it to a wider audience. So that's coming out in a paperback from Sourcebooks. You can pre-order it now. Yay. Thank you. That's awesome. And then my other nonfiction book is called Throw Like a Girl, Cheer Like a Boy. And that's with Roman and Littlefield. And it's just all cool, interesting stuff about sports and gender and sports and sexual identity and sports and transgender and non-binary people, sports and race, sports and globalization and colonialism. That's a young adult. So it's very accessible to kids, but also really quick read if you're an adult who's interested in learning more about sports and different types of identities. Oh, that's amazing. I'm so impressed. Okay, so
0: where can they find you, find your books, and follow along live on this adventure as you get an agent (laughs) on your social media?
1: So I'm at on Instagram, just at Robin R. Ryle, at Twitter, just at Robin Ryle. I have a website that's just RobinRile.com. And if you go to my website, you can also subscribe to my Substack newsletter, which is called You Think Too Much. And is just all the things that I think too much about with a tiny little sociological bent to them do people ever tell men they think too much <laughs> absolutely not absolutely
0: not no. I will
2: bet my next month's worth of checks that nobody has ever said that to
1: no, no 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 think too
2: much no yeah.
1: Absolutely yeah. not. <laughs> oh, boy. That is a good point. That is a good point, Jessica. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so you heard it here first. Go tell a man he thinks too much. <laughs> yeah. don't even that know
2: is what your to homework. do with that concept. Yes. <laughs>
0: it,
1: it took me a long time after my husband and I were married to realize that when I asked him what he was thinking and he said nothing or about baseball, that's really what he meant. He really was not thinking anything besides that. Nothing or baseball. That was pretty much it.
0: Uh, that sounds so (laughs) restful. Robin, thank you so so much. We are so hopeful for you. It was so wonderful to talk with you. Thank you. Thank you so
1: much for being here today. Yes. No. Thank you for the Manuscript Academy. It's just amazing. When I have people ask about what are some good resources for writers, I just tell them, no, go do that. It's not that expensive, and it's well worth it for the just generosity of giving that inside perspective behind what happens for agents and editors. It's really amazing. Thank you.
0: And it's full of cool writers like you. Lots and lots (laughs) of cool (laughs) writers. Yeah, that's fun. We're so lucky we get to work with such neat people every day. Robin, thank you so much. We are so glad that you joined us. And as always, we appreciate your feedback. Just head on over to the iTunes store and let us know.